we are well now, aren't we, into our summer series on the life and times of Joseph. Um, and if you have missed any, I would really encourage you to catch up online. We're on week four now. We're going to be looking at uh, Genesis 41. And um, we've had a great time looking so far at what, what's been going on in Joseph's life. And we've entitled the series, you may remember, um, Kingdom Living in a Hostile World. And so far, we've seen Joseph emerge as a man of great integrity, of great character, of wisdom. And we've seen his faithful service to God, despite some pretty horrific life circumstances. So just to get you up to speed until um, before we read this part of the story for today, um, you'll remember that Joseph was the favoured son of his father, Jacob, which uh, not surprisingly led to his brothers hating him. And his father sent him on this dangerous mission to go and check on his brothers. And this was a, a mission for which he would suffer. And he ends up being thrown down into a big hole, into a well by his brothers and left there to die. And then they have a change of heart and instead they sell him into slavery in Egypt. And once there, he's taken to Potiphar's house, one of the Pharaoh, the king's officials. And it was here in Potiphar's house that he learned how to practice the presence or host the presence of God. And Chris unpacked this for us a couple of weeks ago. Potiphar's house was characterised by failed aspirations, exploitation, the risk of compromise as Potiphar's wife incessantly tried to get him to commit adultery with her. And yet it was in Potiphar's house that we saw how Joseph's example of practising the presence of God and leaning on the father led to him pushing through to his destiny as he partnered with the presence and purpose of God in his life. And this theme of destiny rings throughout the whole story of Joseph. He was a man full of dreams of destiny, which despite abject poverty and trial, he refuses to give up on. And again, we're going to pick up on this theme today. Last week, we saw Joseph in his darkest hour, his lowest point. He was in a dreary dungeon, unjustly locked up because of the advances of Potiphar's wife. His dreams of destiny further away than ever. And despite this, we saw how Joseph's response in this time teaches us how to live in the midst of trial as kingdom people. Joseph refuses to give up on his character He maintains his holiness and his compassion as he attends to the needs of those around him. He holds on to his connection to God and stays spiritually alert, recognising that all dream interpretation comes from God. And again, we're going to see that today in this part of the story. He holds on to his calling, believing that prison wasn't the end for him. He shows us what it looks like to keep hoping in God, even when we can't see the way out. Remember, Joseph didn't know how his story was going to end. Joseph reminds us of what it means to be a person who lives for the kingdom of God, who lives for the king in a hostile world. And ultimately, Joseph models something of the saviour king himself. 
Joseph's life points us to the way of the cross. And Joe showed us last week how in Joseph's life, we see what Jesus would later demonstrate as counting the cost of discipleship when he said, take up your cross and follow me. So we're going to be asking the question today, what lessons from Joseph's life help me to live as a kingdom person? As people whose lives have been transformed by God, people whose allegiance is solely for the king. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to pick up the story. Yeah, Father, we thank you so much for your presence. We really love you. And God, we thank you that you speak to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can hear your voice. And we pray that, God, as we read this next part of the story, Lord, you would just quieten our hearts. We would know your presence afresh. Lord, would you speak so clearly to us? Lord, would you give us vision? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Great. So we are going to read uh, Genesis chapter 41 today, and we're actually going to read this in three sections. So the first bit we're going to read is um, verses one to eight. And uh, this part of the story, Joseph is still in jail. Um, Joe gave us a little plot spoiler last week. He dipped into this verse and his uh, friend, the cupbearer, has been released. So Genesis 41, verse one. When two full years had passed. Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven ears of corn, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears of corn sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin ears of corn swallowed up the seven healthy, full ears. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. So Pharaoh has a dream. In fact, he has two dreams. And there's quite a bit of repetition in those dreams. They seem to have a lot in common. So when he wakes in the morning, understandably, his mind is somewhat troubled. So he sends for the magicians, the wise men of Egypt, but they could not give their interpretation. Their Egyptian dream manuals were no good in this scenario. (laughs) These were not usual dreams. God had given these dreams to Pharaoh. And what I love about this part of the story is that we shouldn't be surprised if unbelievers have dreams about and from God and want to talk about it. One of my work colleagues recently came up to me because she wanted to share a dream that she had had. 
And in this dream, she told me how all of the people that we worked with all lived together in this big house, kind of like a big student setup. And the point of her telling me this dream was because in the dream, she and I were roommates. And she seemed to find this quite intriguing and maybe significant, especially as we don't work directly with each other in the same year group at school. Now, my ears pricked up at this point because she is somebody that I have been talking to God about. And I kind of feel like there's that connection there. She's somebody that I would describe as a person of peace, as Simon Holly encouraged us to look out for a few weeks ago. Now, I don't know if specifically this dream was from God, but I found it interesting that it was me that she came to share it with. And how it it seemed to reflect the fact that God had put her on my heart, the fact that we were roommates. And it meant that I could share something of how I think dreams are really cool. And this has begun to open up opportunities for me to speak to her about how God speaks. And that's something that I'm really praying for more opportunities of um, as our friendship develops. It is good for us to consider, isn't it, how God gets our attention to be intentional about looking for what the Father is doing. The reality is that God is always speaking and he's more interested in speaking to us even more than we are of hearing his voice. I find that incredibly reassuring. Earlier in the story, Joseph is given a dream by God while he's asleep. And Simon gave us this great definition of how dreams are an invasion of our consciousness by God. And we saw how Joseph knew the favour of the father and then the dreams from God came. And how it was no coincidence that we talk about our dreams, meaning our hopes for the future, our aspirations. And in Joseph's life, God used a dream in the night to place dreams of destiny in his heart. That shaped the whole course of his life. And for us, this shouldn't surprise us, living as we do post-Pentecost. Remember, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. We should expect God to speak in this way. And dreams from God always direct us to Jesus. The dreams are not the goal in themselves. Rather, the goal is hearing God speak through dreams in order that we would grow in our love for Jesus and in our understanding of his purposes. And so writing a dream down when we wake up and taking time to pray about it can help us discern what God is saying if it's a dream from him. And sometimes a dream can help us discern the will of God in a particular situation, or it might prompt us to pray or intercede for an individual. Sometimes God reveals words of knowledge in dreams, something about a person that only God could know, and then God might prompt us to share that with that person so that they know that God loves them and knows them. God speaks through dreams, there is no doubt. And there are so many other examples of this in the Bible. Let me just remind you of a few. In Genesis 15, God speaks to Abraham in a dream about the centuries of slavery that his descendants will endure in Egypt, as well as their eventual deliverance from the promised land. 
In Genesis 28, God gives Jacob, remember Joseph's father, a vision of heaven in a dream with a ladder extending to heaven and angels ascending and descending from heaven to earth. And in Matthew chapter 1, an angel appeared to the other Joseph in a dream and he told him to not be afraid to take Mary home as his wife because the child conceived in her really was from the Holy Spirit. These and many others are examples of godly people receiving dreams from God. But there are also many instances when God used dreams to speak to people who didn't know him or fear him. His purpose in this is always to protect his people and bring glory to his name. And so Pharaoh's dreams leave him troubled and in want of an explanation. God breaks into this unbeliever's dreams to form the catalyst for the outworking of Joseph's destiny and ultimately the rescue of an entire nation. That's amazing. And there are other examples of God giving dreams to unbelievers. God intervened in the life of Abimelech through a dream. Now, he was the pagan king who unknowingly took Sarah, Abraham's wife, as his own. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and reprimanded him for taking Sarah and nearly committing adultery with her. Abimelech professes his innocence and says, and then God says, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet and he will pray for you and you will live All of that happened in a dream. Abimelech did as he was told and all was well. New Testament examples include the wise men, the magi who came to worship the newborn Christ. And they were warned in a dream by God not to return to King Herod. And then there's Pilate's wife who, during Jesus' trial, gave her husband warning, saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much today because of him in a dream. How did she know that Jesus was a righteous man? God had revealed it to her in a dream. Opening ourselves to the fact that God might be speaking not only to us through dreams, but also to those around us can be crucial to hearing God speak in this way. I was reading on the Open Doors website recently about a Muslim imam who saw Jesus very clearly appear to him in a dream. And as a result of that, he gave his life to Christ at great cost to his and his family's life. And since then, he has led over 200 people to faith in Jesus and planted a church right where he lives in Ethiopia. As kingdom people, we should expect God to break into the lives of those around us. Pharaoh had dreams and he wanted to know what was going on. He was in need of an interpreter. So let's pick up the story again in verse 9. And see what happens. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. 
Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the lands of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven ears of corn, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears sprouted, withered and thin, and scorched by the east wind. The thin ears of corn swallowed up the seven good ears. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears of corn are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless ears of corn scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God And God will do it soon. Unbeknown to Joseph, because of Pharaoh's dreams, the time for his release from prison has come. In the Old Testament, whenever God spoke by dreams, the powers of the day had no way of interpreting them. Verse 24, Pharaoh says, I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. We see a similar scene in Daniel chapter 2. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, causing his mind to be troubled. And so just like Pharaoh, he summons the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers, anyone he can get his hands on. And he wants them to tell him what he dreamed. 
And after a bit of stalling, they say to him, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. Only the man of God, a Joseph or a Daniel, could give a meaning. And so Pharaoh's need of an interpreter of dreams finally reminds the chief cupbearer of Joseph, who had accurately interpreted his dreams and the baker's dreams in prison. Verse 12, we told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. Pharaoh was sure this was the man he needed. And so Joseph is quickly sent for. And he goes through this rapid transformation from prisoner to king's advisor. He just has a quick change of clothes and a shave so that he's in keeping with Egyptian tradition of men having clean shaven faces. And once in the presence of Pharaoh, Joseph is very quick to insist that he has no special powers of interpretation. But God would give Pharaoh the answer he desires. From the beginning, Joseph nailed his colours to the post and he staked everything on God's ability to give him the message that he needed. Whatever the outcome, Joseph had made his position clear and he would not be in danger of compromise. The lessons he learnt in Potiphar's house of integrity, identity, destiny and authority continued to shape his words and actions. I cannot do it, but God. Kingdom people live out of a revelation that God gets all the glory. Heidi Baker says, God is not looking for extraordinary, exceptionally gifted people. Just lay down lovers of Jesus who will carry his glory with transparency and not take it for themselves. And this comes from a revelation of who God is. I wonder if in prison, Joseph had experienced a revelation of God's character. How else did he maintain hope over despair? How could he have such confidence in God without knowing what would happen? And for us too, God draws us into our destinies by revealing himself to us. And often that starts with the realisation that on our own, we are completely powerless, completely hopeless. Joseph found himself in this position time and time again. When he was down that well, when he was in Potiphar's house in an alien land of Egypt, when he was in the dungeon, hopeless, powerless, alone. And yet, he is able to declare to Pharaoh that his God was able, his God was powerful, his God would come through for him. And whenever the Holy Spirit brings a fresh revelation of the Father's goodness to our hearts, it's for relationship. And then ultimately for the transformation of lives. 
for the dreams of destiny that he's placed inside each of us to be breathed on again. Not so that we might be applauded and made much of, but rather that those around us would see how amazing our Father in heaven is. I don't think that God is that interested in our increased understanding of concepts if there's no relationship increasing with it. When God gives us revelation, he is inviting us to a new place of experience, of knowing him. When Paul prays for the Ephesians, he asks the Father that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, goes beyond knowledge, just knowing. Revelations of God's nature are always invitations to experience him. And the ultimate revelation of the Father's goodness to us is that he sent Jesus to take us out of the hole, to use Joe's wording from last week, out of the place of hopelessness and sin and raises us up with him in the heavenly places simply because he loves us. And so Joseph shows us how to live in a hole by holding on to God, but it's Jesus who gets us out of it. Without Jesus, we stay in the hole. And so God gets all the glory. And we are called to live as a reflection of all that has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus. As kingdom people, Christ is in us. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. So this is the position that we live from. Knowing, just as Joseph did, that we cannot, but because of our position, having been raised with Christ, all things are possible. And Joseph is at pains to ensure that Pharaoh is crystal clear where the interpretation of his dream has come from. Listen to this, verse 25. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 28, it is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. And again, verse 32, the reason the dream has been given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Once Pharaoh heard Joseph's explanation, he accepted it without question. Seven years of plentiful harvest would be followed by seven years of famine. And this is not necessarily presented as a judgment against Egypt, but rather an act of God. Verse 32, the matter has been firmly decided by God. But it's been announced in advance so that the kingdom of Egypt can prepare for it and take the necessary steps to provide for the famine years. So let's see what Pharaoh is going to do. The final bit of today's story, verse 33. This is Joseph speaking still. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. 
The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph outlines this simple but effective God-given plan for how to prepare Egypt for the famine. And it really is very clever. And although simple covers everything, so an organiser should be appointed to be responsible to Pharaoh, and overseers or commissioners should enforce this 20% tax of grain during the good years to be stored and protected until it was needed. And a discerning and wise man should lead this task, probably because once the food shortage kicks in, the temptation to favour the influential and the powerful would become strong. Now, Joseph doesn't put himself forward to be the one to implement this plan. Maybe he had an inkling that Pharaoh would be left in no doubt after this awesome pitch that it should be him that carries out the plan. But he doesn't push himself forward. He doesn't suggest that he's the one to do it. There must have been such a temptation to offer himself as the prime candidate for the job. Maybe the dreams of destiny that God had put in him as a teenager again flashed through his mind at this point. Maybe there was a glimmer of understanding how after all this physical hardship he's endured, this emotional abuse, the unjust treatment, the fact that he's been forgotten about for two years. Maybe this was his moment to turn it all around. But he chooses not to go down the route of self-promotion. He seems to sense that the world's way of walking into destiny is different to the way of God's kingdom. He trusts God just as he always has done. And for us, once we sense God's calling on our lives, there can be that temptation to rush straight into what we think it should look like. Maybe we devise a plan, how we'll fulfil our destiny in three easy steps. And then we hit a wall. Doors don't open or opportunities don't come along in the way that we'd like them to. I remember the first lesson that I ever taught as a student teacher. It was awful. As I was teaching, it became apparent that there was a gap in my subject knowledge. And even though I had meticulously prepared the lesson plan, I still had a lot of learning and growing to do. And moments like that can leave us feeling discouraged and confused, questioning if we even heard God right in the first place. I wonder if you can relate to that. Perhaps you feel that like Joseph, you know what you were made for, but you don't know where to begin. And even when you do, it feels like there's resistance. Well, kingdom people live knowing that God's timing is perfect. 
God often takes us into seasons of preparation where it's like we go undercover with God so that he can grow us and teach us and prune us so that we can be prepared and ready for the next step. Maybe you feel today that you've been forgotten about, hidden away like Joseph, maybe overlooked. Maybe you feel like that for years even. But I really feel like the reality is God wants us to know that he loves us too much to launch us too quickly into something that we're not ready for. And I really feel like today he wants to bring us freedom in this area, not just to remind us of dreams, but to actually unlock them as we partner with his timing. God says that he will hide us in the shadow of his wings to protect us. He uses the hidden place to develop who we are. And this is vital for when we're released into the fullness of our destiny. We mustn't neglect the seasons that grow down roots in us. That's what I think God was doing in Joseph as he sat forgotten about for two full years. Ecclesiastes 3 says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. I don't know about you, but I always feel like I want to be building or laughing. But there must also be the time for the tearing down and the weeping. It's good for us to be aware of what season we are in. To be willing to open our eyes to see the areas in our life that God wants to grow and develop so that we can partner with him in it. When it's time to walk into the dreams of destiny that God has put in us, we want to walk it well. And so there is purpose in the waiting. Being released into our destinies isn't futuristic, it's daily. He is always moving us into all that he has for us. And God wants us, not what we do. He doesn't look at titles and qualifications and great plans. He's more interested in shaping our character and how we change the atmosphere. So titles like mother, teacher, doctor, these are things that we do. But our character, our attitude, the way we react to things, these are who we are. So as kingdom people, we don't have to promote ourselves. And striving for significance will actually undermine the significance that the Father has given us as favoured sons and daughters. And God sometimes takes us to the hidden place so that we can learn to hear his voice more clearly. Learn to distinguish his roar over us rather than listening to the roar of the world to give us affirmation and significance. We need to give ourselves grace to embrace the season that we're in, knowing that God has impeccable timing. Joseph's plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. Verse 37. Pharaoh decides on the spot that he would never find anyone better to take up the new appointment than the one who proposed it. 
And Joseph's unwavering faith in God is publicly vindicated. Pharaoh sets Joseph over the royal estate second only to himself. And I love the reason that Pharaoh gives as to why Joseph must be the one to rescue Egypt. He says, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Again, God gets all the glory. Pharaoh recognises that this is more than just a great strategic plan. It is God at work. God's timing is perfect. Joseph emerges from a hidden place, ready to run fast and run well, as his dreams of destiny open up. So, as we finish, God chose Joseph, knowing he was key to touching other people's lives. As kingdom people, we have been chosen because of God's love. We've been uniquely positioned in the world because of the cry of other people. God is always breaking into lives, as we've seen today with Pharaoh's dreams. And as kingdom people, we should expect God to speak, not only to us, but also to those around us. His favour is upon us so that we can be part of his plan of distributing that same favour to others, just as Joseph did. And in it all, we get the immense privilege of pointing people to our father. He gets all the glory. Partnering with him in the different times and seasons in our life, knowing that his timing is perfect, means that we can be ready when the father says go. I think it'd be really good just to spend a moment in God's presence afresh. Just invite you to stand if you're able to, and I'm going to pray for us. Just encourage you to think again about the dreams of destiny that God has placed in your heart. There's an opportunity now just to hear the Father's voice over them again. Ask him what he's doing. Ask him what this season is about. Maybe you feel like Joseph, a bit hidden or overlooked, forgotten about. Maybe even you feel like your dreams have been frustrated or set aside. I wonder if perhaps there's people that have felt like that for a long time. You look at Joseph, forgotten about for two years, and you think, gosh, that's nothing. Just hear the Father's encouragement again to you to hang on, to intentionally partner with him in this waiting. Father, we love you. We thank you that you place dreams of destiny in each one of us. We thank you that you speak purpose over our lives. We thank you that you have saved us. And we thank you that we get to have a great adventure with you. And God, just as we hold up our dreams again to you, whatever stage we may feel like we're walking in those, God, we ask that you would just bring a fresh unlocking today as you breathe your spirit upon us. Lord, help us to hear your roar over us, your roar of assurance, of affirmation, of love. 
Thank you that we are your favoured sons and daughters. Thank you that you have a plan for us. And God, I pray for those of us that feel like the waiting has gone on and on and on. Lord, I pray that you would bring encouragement to our hearts today. As we sang earlier, give us vision. Help us to see what you're doing. Help us to see things as you see them. And Lord, we give you permission afresh to come and grow us, to come and teach us, to come and prune us. Lord, we want to be ready to run well when you say go. God, I just pray for a fresh revelation again of your goodness. And God, we don't want to keep that to ourselves. God, we want to see you break into the lives of those around us. Help us to take out all of your goodness, all of your glory, all of the truth that you have planted and revealed in our hearts. Let it flourish and outflow to those around us.